and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith, and thank you for listening. <laughs> David is not here. Uh, after 500 plus episodes of doing this, almost six at this point, uh, it is uh, when David isn't here, it's hard for me to go over uh, his his section of speaking. So I always give a pause for him to say, and I'm David Bax. And then when there's nothing, I, I remember that I am in fact alone. So, uh, so sorry everybody for that. But, um, but yeah, David is not here, uh, but we do have a guest that we'll get to uh, in a moment. But first I wanted to let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by Mubi a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Everyday Movies curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are several great movies available on Mubi right now, including two more great films by uh, Alexander McKendrick. The Maggie, which depicts the struggles of the working class on the open sea, and The Man in the White Suit, starring Alec Guinness. Um, I believe I mentioned this film uh, a week or two ago. I'm a big fan of The Man in the White Suit. Um, It's no Kind Hearts and Coronets. It's no uh, Lavender Hill Mob, but it is a lot of fun, and it's just uh, it's light as a feather. I really enjoy it. Um, And I think it actually brings up some very interesting uh, questions, especially in a market-based capitalistic society, uh, about uh, perfecting products and what that might mean. Like, is it better to serve the customer or the employee? It it brings up some interesting stuff, and I think it's a really solid satire. So check out The Man in the White Suit, uh, directed by Alexander McKendrick, on Mubi. There is also a special uh, offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com, slash Battleship to redeem now. And then I also wanted to let everybody know what's going on uh, on the website right now. There are several several uh, reviews. David uh, reviewed the film Damsel, which I saw and absolutely adore. He also reviewed Boundaries, the Blu-ray release of Misery. And uh, he's talked about it before, but the, the review is back up on the site of uh, Izzy, Gets the Fuck, Izzy Gets the Fuck Across Town. Uh, I reviewed Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom. Musical Notation uh, did an episode about the music of David Lynch's first three films. The movie Meltdown Guys traveled to Indie PopCon, and I finally, at long last, posted my 20-minute video essay about Colin Trevorrow's Jurassic World. So you can find that at BattleshipPretension.com. Okay, enough of that. So we do have a guest. I'm continuing my uh, my tradition that I started a couple of years ago. Um, when David is not here, I bring in what I like to call ringers. I've never called them that, but uh, people from school to find out what they're doing because the world of academia, it seems like it would interact with the critical world more often, but it doesn't really. And the first thing that I realized when I went back to school is how how different uh, it is and all the different things that can be considered in the uh, cinema and media studies department, like what could what can qualify for a paper or, or whatever uh, in that. And a lot of stuff was far beyond my area of expertise or even interest. Um, but yeah, so one of the people that I absolutely wanted to have on, and she's here with us now, it's Ariel Stevenson. It's you, girl. It's me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, jumping right in. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so I was like, I'm not going to do. Uh, hi. 
My name is Ariel. No, yeah, no, I just bring it (laughs) completely honestly. Yeah, there there are reasons why I ask certain people on the show and not others, and it's not because (laughs) it's not because you're a soft-spoken person. It's because (laughs) you and me and Dave and a hand up full of other people uh, tended to chime in the most in classroom discussions. That's definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so how you doing? I'm doing great. Am I supposed to like? Explain who I am. Like, what's up? Oh, wait, Are you I'm going to ask gonna, me? Okay, I'm going to ask you. I just want to yeah. be sure. There we I'm go. doing great. Um, it's a good day. <laughs> I actually just finished all of my finals last night. Congratulations. Um, I had about 10 hours of sleep, so I'm feeling really good. Right all now. right. Okay. Yeah. So there is no excuse yeah, for no. this to be bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fully charged. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's find out a bit more uh, about you. So where are you from originally? I am from DeSoto, Texas, which okay. is a southern suburb of Dallas, a triple D. You already know what's up. Um, and yeah, so that's where I'm from. I have a mother and father. <laughs> and a, I have an older brother. I'm saying this because I know I'm going to post this on Facebook and they're going to listen. So I want to give a shout out to my whole family. Hello, y'all. What's up? Um, yes. I'm from Dallas. I'm from Texas. Yeah. I'm a proud Texan. But I know that for a while, I believe you went to school in Chicago, correct? Yes. I went to the University of Chicago. Um, so that took four years to get that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I stayed there for an extra year before when I applied, when I was applying for graduate programs. But you did not major in film, correct? Right. I majored in art history. Okay. Um, but my final thesis ended up focusing on music videos. So okay. I talked about Kara Walker. Um, and her piece of subtlety has a really, really, really long name. Um, but a subtlety, it was the big sugar sphinx that was in the Domino Sugar Factory in New York. And somehow my mind connected that to Solange's music video yeah. for Losing You. Hmm. And this other artist named Tamika Norris or Mika Jane. Um, and her music video, she's an artist, but she made a music video. And I was like, why would she make a music video? Like, what would that do for her work yeah. as a performance artist? Um, so I was trying to connect all three of those. And I did. And my advisor at the time was like, what? <laughs> this is not our history. And I was like, true. Uh, so I, I knew at that point I had taken some film classes with yeah. um, the guy, Jacqueline Stewart, who now is part of the, I think, the, yeah, the Smithsonian, like, Black People Museum. Okay. <laughs> I would say the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Yeah. Um, the Black People Museum. The Black Museum. People Museum. Um, <laughs> this is so, I always get the words mixed up. So I'm like, I know what, you know what I mean when I say yeah. that. So she's part of that now. She's really big on cons- conservation. I took classes with her um, and I was like, oh, well, maybe cinema media studies is an area that I would want to go into in grad, mm-hmm. grad school. So it was between art history, performance studies, and cinema and media studies. Those are all okay. the programs I applied to. Yeah. Um, real quick, everybody, you might be hearing a garbage truck. We are recording this during the day and not at night. So you're going to be hearing different distracting noises. Yeah. You won't hear that weird ice cream truck that is driving around later than it should. Uh, <laughs> you never know what people want ice cream, man. You can't anticipate it's what true. The people want. Especially in the summer when it's, it's at... There's two hours in the summer where it hasn't quite cooled down inside the house. Yes. So it is cool outside, but yeah. not in the house. And that's yeah. when you want that ice cream. I feel that. They're smart. And it's and it's not even like a traditional ice cream truck. It's like a Sunday truck. It's mm-hmm. very interesting. So at that's some point, I'll have, uh, I'll have the whole co- cohort over at night <laughs> yeah. so that we can all have Sundays from the weird <laughs> truck that drives around my neighborhood. Wow. That sounds great. Actually, that's what I want. <laughs> Uh, well, sadly, it's only a garbage truck outside right now, and 
maybe there's maybe they have ice cream i don't know but you never know um yeah and and so already one of the things that that uh interests me most about your story is that you came into film not i mean obviously like i assume you were a fan of film already but that was not your goal. You weren't looking to do it. It just kind of happened organically. You found yourself having a thought and before you know it, here you are an actual PhD student. Like you actually want to be a doctor of film, the film doctor. That's funny. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) It's, it is odd. Like when you find, uh, admit it. And I was only a part of the program for like a a year and a half cumulatively. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I remember like this, the, about two quarters in, I thought like, how do I get here? What am I, what <laughs> what am I doing here? here? <laughs> and you are part of like a five-year program. Yeah. Like, do you find yourself thinking like, what, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm actually the person who has a plan. So I knew I was going to go to senior University of Chicago when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother was older than me, so I, he, I would go to his college tour things. And he really wanted to go to Columbia and so I ended up, Columbia was traveling with MIT, um, Cornell, and U Chicago. Mm-hmm. And the lady from U Chicago was like so fascinating. She presented this somewhat true story of like what it's like to go to U Chicago, um, the, the, the student body there. And I was like, yeah, that's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was going to go. So I knew I was going to apply there. I didn't know if I was going to yeah. get, get in, but I knew that's where I wanted to go. Um, and so like for me, actually, I didn't actually know for sure I wanted to go to grad school until like the first month that I was trying to work hmm. for a living. Yeah, <laughs> and I was yeah. like, yeah, no, this is not, <laughs> I'm not ready for not this. Yeah. I want. Um, no, my year off, I worked at Uniqlo okay. on uh, Michigan Ave. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to my Uniqlo fam. If y'all listen to this, probably won't. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was like, you know, I love those people. It was really great to actually experience people from Chicago as mm-hmm. opposed to like going to University of Chicago and being in the South Side but not a part of the South Side. It was really yeah. wonderful to get that experience and I met a lot of great people but I was like, yeah, no, I'm not trying to be here working with people and working for people who don't think that I have like any level of like critical right like engagement with the world at large. Yeah. Um and so I was like I knew people had told me to take a year off before I decided if I wanted to go. And I was like, in that year, I was like, I'm applying right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I find myself in the program. It makes sense now. I find myself, it's crazy to me that like in three years, I will have written a book. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, but I mean, I see it. Like, it makes sense. Uh, now that I'm here, it's like, yeah, of course I'm going to be a professor. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there is, it almost feels like we're scamming yeah, someone yeah, where it's just like, yes, we, I got my master's, you're getting your PhD and what are we going to do with it? Just keep perpetuating. Keep, yeah. Like that's, <laughs> you yeah, know, I got my master's, my family came, watched me air quote graduate. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I was going to keep, I don't know, telling people I'm smart until I actually get there. Um, <laughs> but no, I feel like it's, it makes sense. Um, yeah. I, Kind of shocked that if I had done, I think if I went into museum work, which is originally what I wanted to do and kind of still mm. want to do curation, um, I think I would still have had a time to have a lot of critical engagement. A lot of people who are curators are very, very smart. Right. Um, they have a really huge knowledge of like history of, of visuality and all these types of things, things that I'm interested in. But to actually be able to every day go into class and like 
just sit and think about an idea really hard. I think from you, Chicago, like really just like brainwash me. Yeah. Like I just think about things really hard. I remember t- I came home one time for this for the summer and I was like, mommy, I just want to think about things really hard. And she was like, well, you are. <laughs> I've noticed a difference. So I think me being here actually makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, my uh, my mom recently sent me a box of like old stuff of mine, mm-hmm. and there's a photo of me at age three sitting in my thinking spot, <laughs> uh, which undoubtedly, as a kid, I probably just ripped that off from uh, Winnie the Pooh's thoughtful spot. Right. And but at age three, you don't know the word thoughtful, so it's like, all right, thinking. I know that. Yeah. But I would regularly go and sit at my thinking spot. I don't know what I was. thinking. Pondering. You don't know. You could have had the, some solutions. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I wish really... I'd written it down. <laughs> <laughs> With my limited writing skills. <laughs> I wish I had been able to know the alphabet. Like, yeah. I think it's time for, you know what? I think I'm going to start a third podcast. I'm going to call it The Thinking Spot. And it's just going to be me sitting and musing, whatever comes into my mind, um, just in case I need to lose even more listeners. Okay. So, uh, so yeah. Um, So you said that by the time you're done, you will have written a book, which is basically the case for every PhD student. Uh, So what what are you working on? What's going on? Originally, I came in here and wanted to write a critical body of work about like the work that Black women do in music videos. Okay, that is behind the screen, and that is obviously in front of the screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was thinking. You know, that's obviously what I'm going to do. And I knew that music videos are kind of like out of vogue at the time when I was coming in. Right. Um, they were out of vogue. And I would say that they have now made a resurgence in a really sure. interesting way. And I anticipated that. First of all, let me go ahead and put that out there. I'm smart. I'm prophetic. Um, no, I When I came here, I was like, oh, well, it doesn't really make sense for what... Um, if, if I want to market myself on the job market, I have to be thinking ahead, which I hate right. in the capitalist standard. But like, you know, there'll always be time for me to talk about music videos. I'm not going to not stop paying attention to music videos. Right. Um, so what I ended up, I had a class, my first quarter coming in to UCLA, not Chicago, UCLA, and with Steve Anderson. And I, in that class, that day when we were going to have class, I think it was like the third week of class, Vine was canceled. <laughs> Um, I remember. I remember yeah. we were in we were in the TA training class yeah. and Quanda and I were sitting on one side of the table because she and I were were are older than all yes, of you. All and you guys were like melting down and she and I just looked at each other and just laughed at all these youngsters <laughs> like, Vine, what are we gonna do now? Yeah, I know. Vine is like <laughs> and it's crazy because I'm actually one of the older people mm-hmm. who would be on really invested in Vine. Um at the at the ripe old age of twenty five, um, which I just turned twenty five, which is crazy. congratulations. I still feel like I'm sixteen sometimes, so it's really crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, so Vine is canceled, and what I I was really kind of confused because Vine was still being used. Um, pretty, I thought not. It was not in this heyday of like twenty fourteen, right? Um, twenty thirteen, but it was still being used pretty. Frequently, from what I could tell. Yeah, I still heard a lot of people talking about, about Vine. Yeah. So, you know, I was like really, I wanted to prove like why it was so important um, visually, like what did it do? Um, and the example I always use is the word fleek. Now, you probably have listeners, <laughs> have probably all heard the word fleek 
but not necessarily know where that come from. Right. So it came from a young lady in the south side of Chicago who her name was, her name on Vine was Peaches Monroe. And she one day was just waiting for her mom in the car and she was making a Vine and she was, she just got her eyebrows done. And so she was like, eyebrows on fleek. We in this bitch. I'm, I'm actually mixing that around. It's like, we in this bitch. Eyebrows on fleek. The fuck? She literally just created a word. She just pulled it out of thin air. Yeah. Right? And so that, in the style of Vine, and also YouTube created a lot of remixes where like people would take either her direct audio mm-hmm. and put it on their Vine or people would redo their, her Vine yeah. in their own way. Um, so the point got so extrapolated that it had to take some type of like, you know, fader-esque sure. investigative journalism to find out who created the word fleek. Um, and of course, she's not getting any of the money that from all the corporations who are using fleek. Right. She had to have a GoFundMe to get college tuition money. Hmm. Um, that should be paid for over 10 times. Like yeah. her kids should be rich. Um, and like that just goes to show like in terms of like the exploitation that creative labor of, of black and brown people that runs America. So uh, I was like really invested. Not just that was one example, but I'm really invested in proving what are black people doing on the internet visually? Not mm-hmm. necessarily like linguistically, even though that, that does work with the visuals. Um, but what are they doing visually on the internet to create a cultural space? So that's what my dissertation is going to be about. It's going to be about thinking about the cultural history of the internet from a black standpoint. So looking at black people who literally created the technology that supports the internet today. Mm-hmm. Um, the first iterations of what people know about black Twitter, um, this air quotes, um, what was it, where did that come from? It didn't come out of nowhere. So right. like thinking about black planet, which a lot of people don't know what that is because it even predates MySpace. Um, so black planet then thought catalog, no, that's wrong. <laughs> uh, live journal. Ooh, there it goes. Live journal, MySpace, Facebook, then Twitter. Hmm. Um, kind of just this kind of trickle down. These people move across. So I'm thinking about Kid Fury, who has the really popular podcast, mm-hmm. uh, The Read, with Crystal. They're my favorites. Um, no offense. That's fine. <laughs> I've been listening to them for years. <laughs> so uh, that was the first time I ever knew what a podcast was. Um, I mean, BP's been on since 2007. It's fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you paved the way for them. So that's true. Exactly. Um, and Kid Fury, Mickey Kendall, whose Twitter name is Mickey Kendall, who I interviewed for a class at U Chicago, actually, because she lives in Chicago. People like that who are kind of central parts of Black Twitter, who have traveled across various spaces on the internet, and it was on Twitter that they found their fame, where they're not that their jumping point. So for Kid Fury, he was going from YouTube, he was pretty big on YouTube, and then into yeah. the read, which... Helps him catapult. And then, um, say for example, Jesus, nice. Jesus and Mira. Of Jesus and Mira, they have a show on Vice that they're canceling. That will now be a show, a late night show on Showtime. Hmm. They found a huge part of their body of of fans on Twitter. Jesus Nice is one of the funniest people on Twitter, and that's just a fact. (laughs) So it makes a lot of sense to to trace these lineages because these people are going to end up creating change in black media production but they came from this kind of forgotten no. history well, and i think so. it, it speaks not merely to the like the the racial culture but also just 
people still, maybe not so much anymore, but for a long time, people not knowing what the internet was yeah. or what it meant. Like if somebody on right. Vine made up a word and it became popular, people are like, yeah, but they just, they just said a word on Vine. Now it's everybody's, right? Yeah. Is, doesn't that, isn't that how the internet works? No. Like, and it's, and it's not. <laughs> it's not how it works. <laughs> um, certainly not now. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting to see, you know, uh, how, not merely social media, but just any, anything that allows somebody to get out there. Like I, I know a number of comedians. Um, there was a guy that was on this show many, many years ago named Jason Nash, mm -hmm. who was a successful, uh, comedian. He'd been on TV a little bit. Vine comes along Kills it. and he, he just, for whatever reason, his specific type of comedy worked great mm -hmm. with Vine and that made him extremely popular. Right. And then there are some comedians that are good, but for some reason, Twitter is where they like just hit it knock it. Yeah, they just need that 140 characters, or is it yeah. 280 now? It's 280 now, but, which is you know, great because I'm long winded. <laughs> yeah, same. I like. <laughs> I really think I, I can be short and snappy, and I realize I can't. Like unless I'm actually speaking, then I can't. It's really hard for me in written form, and I blame you, Chicago, now uh, to be short. Yeah, and snappy. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh, it's definitely that video essay I mentioned probably would have been shorter if I'd made it before UCLA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cause like, you know, Hey, I got a page, I got a page quota. Did you take visual analysis with Steve Manberry? No. Okay. Okay. Cause they changed it. Sorry for all y'all people who are literally not part of our program. That's Some right. people have to take visual analysis or like visual analysis, like literally how do you look at things? But Steve Manberry was a really huge component of that. He was really well known for that. But then Steve yeah. Anderson took over that. And so now he teaches you how to make video essays. Right. So I learned how to make video essays. Right. Um, so I probably could have benefited you, from you that. I mean, maybe from Steve's version. I think you probably got visual analysis down. You probably got it. Yeah. I think you got it. Like, I mean, I think I need to know how to do film analysis, visual sure. analysis. I know my art history visual analysis is on fleek if we're gonna sure. keep it hang on so we gotta pay a quarter to yeah. somebody somewhere <laughs> peaches my own call me no <laughs> no um yeah so i mean well and that's and before we get more into the dissertation because i find that very interesting um getting moving from art history and a very specific type of mm -hmm. visual analysis into moving picture mm -hmm. analysis um what are you know, on, in some ways, like maybe you felt less prepared, but in other ways, I have no doubt that you probably brought a unique perspective that other people didn't. Yeah. Do you feel like that was the, the case or did you feel just like somehow out of your depth? No, I, I feel, you know, I would come to class, you and Dave <laughs> and Jonathan and Mark just knew literally every <laughs> single movie ever. Yeah. I would be like, yeah, from 1956. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is going on here? Like, you know, I, I'm like, you know, I know every, I know where every meme, com meme comes from sure. the past five years. So like, really, that's kind of, it's so transient that I feel like that actually, it translates. Like, I probably could, I have the Oh, yours is much memory. more relevant. Your stuff is much more relevant but than I mine. But I have the, I think I don't have the memory capacity to do it, but I, realize sure. I actually quite literally do. So like, I think from our history, what, what I, reason why I feel an affinity to our history is because of, uh, my art history teacher in high school, Charlotte Chambliss. When I post this on Facebook, maybe she'll listen. Um, now, there goes another shout out to my the queen, the shammy sham. Um, I don't mean to be rude, but 
nobody that you care about is going to listen to this. If, 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 if you know what, if it's, if, if you're a guest on something, maybe they'll listen. If yeah. you decide to host one, they're not going to listen. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, I uh, wanted to, I knew I have a really good memory for really weird things. And so our history, like the classes you have to take where you have to like memorize the slides. Like people mm-hmm. are like, I can't memorize these slides. How am I going to memorize the materials and the artists and the yeah. name and the year? That's what I'm made for. So yeah. like I was really good at remembering those things. So when I came into film, once I started to watch, I can watch a film and tell you, yeah, this happened at this this happened. They said this line hmm. from one time ten years ago. Wow! And so that's really weird and not yeah. really you know a super great skill. But I yeah. think that that it's like Rain Man. <laughs> uh, maybe let's not unpack that all the way. <laughs> uh, let's not do that. Uh, no, but I think uh, I came in. I know I can do a visual analysis. I have done visual analysis for one painting mm-hmm. for seven pages. Oh wow! Um, and like that was like go down to color, the brushstroke, the actual imagery. What could that mean without any research? You cannot use outside research when you do a visual analysis paper. Yeah. So when I'm, you know, feeling low on my page count, I always know I can just pull out. I my final paper that we, we can, we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. I literally talked about one scene for five pages without any outside yeah. stuff because I was like, yeah. I can pull, 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 pull yeah. for over and over and over. So. Yeah. There have been, yeah, like research, yeah, that's all well and good. I tend to like analysis yeah, a lot more same. because there are times when I, okay, this is going to sound egotistical, but it's just, there are times when it's like, all right, I got 15 pages and I got Blade Runner. All right, brain, what do you got for yeah, it? Yeah. And, and yeah, it's just, and on what, and what's interesting is much to my surprise, I'm now talking about my undergrad, um, much to my surprise, I wasn't bullshitting either. Mm -hmm. It's more just the page count forced me to go as deep as I possibly could until I was thinking things that had not occurred to me beforehand. And it was actually, it was kind of great. Like that's, that's the level of challenge that once I, I remember when I was considering going back to school Mm -hmm. and I just like, I don't know, it's a lot of work and it's beyond me. And then Jen, who is always a, a champion of this, she, she was reading off some of the courses at UCLA. And I was like, Oh, those sound great. She goes, yes, this is what you do. You know, you actually enjoy this stuff. It's like, Oh yeah, I forgot. (laughs) I forgot that I'm a huge nerd. Uh, (laughs) No, that's like, yeah, I think that, I think our history helped me like just literally see things Mm -hmm. really, really look at things. Yeah. Um, and I think that that over anything else, I can always learn, like, you know, how to do shot-by-shot shot analysis. Like, what words should I use and whatnot. Sure. Um, at any given moment, you know, I can read a bricked text. Oh. <sighs> Taking you like, oh, that education's coming through. Um, <laughs> and, or, you know, I can I can just do that any time. But what people can't do is see things sometimes. Like, it, you, yeah. just, you can't necessarily be trained how to yeah. look at things and find something that no one else has been able to say. So I... One of my signature moves is like, has anyone written about this? Let me go to JSTOR. Yeah. Uh, no one has said anything about this. I'm going to write about this because I know if, even if my point of view is kind of wacky, if I start that avenue of thought, then other people can come in and fill in where I don't necessarily know yeah. how, to, how to do those types of things. So, Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's rare to find a topic that has not been discussed, but uh, in general, but 
but they are out there. Yeah. You know, uh, I find everything. <laughs> yeah. Usually yeah. the thing to do is like, what do people not take seriously? seriously. Exactly. Like for me, it was Christian film, mm-hmm. um, which admittedly, it's bad. Yeah. So Sometimes, in many ways yeah. you shouldn't take it seriously, but that doesn't mean it's not people trying to do something. Right. right. So yeah. Uh, and okay. So First now, of all, I want to say I've been to TBN, my church. We had our like anniversary celebration on TBN's headquarters. Okay. Um, and so I just, I just love, I told my mom, I was like, that's a guy. He writes about Christian films and how like they're kind of bad. And she was like, <laughs> yo, like, you know, she was like, yo, and she's like, you know what? And then she, you know, we kind of talked about like, she's like, I'm watching this. I'll call it sometimes. She'll be like, I'm watching this thing on TBN. Girl, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and it was like, it's the same thing. So I just wanted to, yeah, I, I love that. I always do really think I said, so go ahead. Um, so, okay. Before we get to like more into the dissertation or your final paper, uh, for our text and context class, oh. uh, I've, I have a vague, uh, memory of oh, what yeah. your paper was about, but I remember finding it very interesting. Yeah. Same for uh, us. What was that? I remember what yours was about, but I did. Yeah. Mine was about, yeah. Christian yeah. film as a genre. But you made like this one point about the cross, I think, or at one point during the presentation, I remember me and Brandon were like, Ooh, <laughs> we're like, right. Whoa. Hit me on the chest. <laughs> I remember afterwards, Brandon came up, he goes, and that in his Brandon voice, and yeah. listeners, you know how Brandon sounds, yeah. so this isn't offensive, maybe. <laughs> he's like, he goes, yeah, that was badass. <laughs> and I'm I'm overplaying it there, yeah. but like, and I was like, I don't know if I would describe my presentation about <laughs> Christian film badass, but I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. And it turns out that's just the thing he says when yeah. he when he likes stuff. Yeah. But uh, but what was yours Ooh, about? Because I remember so exciting. Because I remember thinking like. Oh, this is definitely like, I remember that your presentation about your paper was what made me want you to be on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that that's the only thing we're going to talk about, but it, but it interested me. Yeah. So I love horror films. This is funny because I've been so scared my entire life of horror films because my cousins made me watch Chucky two or three. I can't remember Mm. when I was five. Okay. Um, Sure. And (laughs) marketed as a, it's a kid's movie. Similar way that people watch like blubber or like gremlins. Some people are terrified. I've met recently, but like blubber literally messed them up yeah. as children. So I used to sleep with the lights on. So I was like mm-hmm. 12. Hmm. Um, and so that's embarrassing. I don't know if a lot of people know that. My mom does and her electricity <laughs> bill does too. Um, but I got became friends with a group of guys. It's like me and three other girls and like seven guys. So the other guys were like, oh, you can watch all these scary movies, right? And so I was like, I can't watch this. And then I just kind of trained myself to take, to be able to watch horror films and like just kind of take it with like humor. That's the only way I can like really digest it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to write about a couple of horror films. One of my favorite movies of the past like 10 years is It Follows. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this is just fascinating. Um, and then I started to watch some more feminist horror films or whatever you want to say about that. Well, I will say about that. Um, and I was thinking, um, you know, there's a lot going on here. So I remember I talked about It Follows in one of my first film classes. I talked to a girl who was a PhD student mm-hmm. at UChicago and she was like, she wrote about Ginger Snaps um, from the year 2000, um, Jennifer's Body, which is also one of my favorite movies, um, 2008. And I think she had one more I can't remember, but she was writing about those kind of from the same, um, thinking about them from a feminist standpoint, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And I watched those movies too, and I was like, there's something here. 
So then I started. I watched Teeth, two thousand and six. Yeah. I think um, I should know. I should know. I think it's two thousand six, and as well as a girl watched Home Alone at night, mm-hmm. uh, Raw, The Witch, and I'm missing like one or two. Babadook, Babadook, and then I think that's it from the early ones. Did you see? I think it only came out last year. A movie called Prevenge. You know, uh, okay, it's actually it's, really interesting because they were going to try and show that on campus and okay. we kind of decided not to because it's kind of like back into like the traditional like revenge, right? Rape revenge stories that we kind of were like, oh, and it wasn't, and it wasn't that it was, it was something more. I don't love the movie. It's not that yeah. great. It should, it's, it actually, it steers more towards comedy than horror, yeah. which the two can go really well together, but you got to be careful if yeah. you go too far in one, then the other it's doesn't work so well. Yeah. But yeah, but it definitely, it, I did have the thought of it, yeah. uh, of your, of your presentation I when I saw it. I haven't seen it, but I'll give it a look. There's something that people, I was like, have you seen, have you seen? And I was like, of course. I cannot write about every single, I would love to, yeah. <laughs> but I cannot. So those are, those are the ones that I watched and I was like, there's something here. And so what I was thinking of, um, my advisor, she writes about um, classic cinema and like, Black, black people in classic cinema films. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you want to write about white women? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. So that I never thought I would ever do. Like, I'm always like, I'm trying to write about black women. Like, black women need to be taken seriously. Like, mm-hmm. don't get talked about in a positive way oftentimes, or like with complex ideas. I was like, so I was like, but this, I think these white women are showing something about difference right. um, that kind of turns back on race. Um, and so I was thinking about that and I was like, well, there's something here interesting in terms of uh, this kind of reliance on menstrual representations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't show women bleeding because that would mean that she would show a vagina. Yeah. Well, cis women bleeding because you don't mean you have, a, you have a vagina on screen. That's just not acceptable. Genitalia, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, in case you didn't know that, if you never seen a movie, um, and, <laughs> but a way that I see, I found people were getting around that to demonstrate menstruation was to focus on a bleeding mouth. Um, sure. So a bloody mouth represents a bloody vagina, and what I found that a lot of these movies were kind of getting at, especially in like movies like Ginger Snaps, Teeth. And I made the argument for all of them, but like those two are the most explicit that I sure. feel like we're like, oh, wow. What's kind of this fear about what happens when you're going through puberty, like when you're menstruating and like that right. comes with um, arousal, that comes with your body changing, that comes with um, the embarrassment of like you might bleed through your pants or like right. your clothing. Like it's just like it's all these types of things you can't ever really anticipate. Like it's like. You can't anticipate your period coming, but you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Like, still. Yeah. There are no people who are, like, 40 who are like, oh, yeah, like, I i don't know what's going on. Like, you know, it's, it's still changing. Like, yeah. it happens all the time. So I think that what I was trying to get at was, like, this kind of menstrual anxiety kind of playing off the idea of castration anxiety, hmm. which is, like, if castration anxiety is the Freudian concept that men are afraid that they're going to be castrated. Um, when I look at the sight, the sight of a vagina, say, for example, when a young boy might see a child changing clothes 
another a young girl changing clothes, like mm-hmm. you know, in a very innocent sense, and notice that right. she does not have a penis like me. Um, that they think that the penis was cut off, sure, as opposed to just the fact that it's different, which mm-hmm. is like you know, I can go on some Freud right here, but I'm not going to. Okay. Um, and that kind of creates this anxiety, which creates um, masculinity versus femininity. Mm-hmm. And this kind of this concept of castration anxiety is also that women feel that too. Like when they first see a penis, they're like, oh, it, mine was, is gone. As opposed to being like, this is mine and that's different. Right. Um, you know, for like, why would a woman want to have a vagina? Why wouldn't you want to have a penis? I don't know. You know? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're kind of a hassle sometimes, you know? I mean, both are. They're yeah. Genitals are terrible. <laughs> I wish we could just be Barbies. Um, I don't know. We just have like, nothing yeah. there. Um, and that's uh, real quick. And that's the thing is like the flip side is at this point, if I go to see a movie, if the word it's like, oh, coming of age. Like, I bet there's going to be some premature ejaculation. Right. Like, it doesn't matter if the main right. character is female or male. That's going to be a big but part of it. But not anything about a girl having her first, right. like, you know, wet dream or whatever. Or I think one movie that I've seen was Towhead, where they show how she masturbated. Like, you know, like there's mm-hmm. few films I can, by far, I can think about that have a representation of, like, female, young female arousal, mm-hmm. where it's kind of just given for a given that men have this, yeah. young men have this and women don't, yeah. which is just false. And so, it's going to be embarrassing and, and, gonna, yeah, and funny. Visual, and yeah, yeah. And, you know, as opposed to what's really going on here? Like, we're yeah. all humans. Like, it just perpetuates the idea, like, you know, that women don't experience, like, don't enjoy sex. Yeah. And so, like, you know, goes into kind of power feeds into rape, but like also mm-hmm. like into just bad sexual experiences for people. Yeah. Anyways, my paper was <laughs> thinking about menstrual anxiety. How can I prove this concept of menstrual anxiety, that this fear or this representation of the feelings that come with the changing of your body mm-hmm. and not necessarily that it's a bad thing, but like just not knowing what's going to happen. Right. Um, and it just kind of comes out through the bloody mouth. And I remember a lot of people went to go see the new it and people sure. would text me and were like, Ariel, yo, that part where the room just was like, she was covered in blood and her yeah. father couldn't see it. I was like, I know I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a genius. Yeah. Um, I'm saying I'm a genius because recently I bet a lot of the listeners do not know what I'm going to talk about. But this rapper, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, this okay. rapper died. Um, he was shot. He was a terrible person in the sense that he beat his pregnant girlfriend up so poor badly that her eye socket was is permanently just ruined. Huh. Um, and then kept her from going to the hospital for days. Um, tried to drown her. When he went to jail, he thought his, in his, room, his roommate, cellmate, was gay and was looking at him incorrectly and beat him so close to death. Um, beat him closely, so close to de- dying. Yeah. Um, and just never really ap- apologized for it. But people were like, oh, he's a genius and music is great. And it's like, why? What are is this you- person's name? <sighs> it's the worst name of all time. It's like XXX Stension or whatever. Ugh. I know. It's like there was a whole rally on Melrose like okay. two days ago for his death. He was shot like in like, I don't know rap antics. I don't know. And he died. <laughs> and the thing that was messed up about his death, and I will say, I don't feel. I don't feel, I'm not mourning his death. I don't think his music was ever that great. I heard one song and I was like, mm, no. And yeah. I, I knew about everything else before the music. So I was like, there's right. no need for me to be invested in this. Um, one thing that's messed up is that they did like show his dead body on like social media sites. Like people were like, on, yeah. you know, that's in, in the era of like showing dead black bodies on yeah. the internet. I don't agree with that. 
Especially but, in a situation like this where it could be associated with he had it coming. Exactly. And yeah. I don't think, I think some people, I mean, he was very, he was very conscious as most rappers are about like death, the imminence mm-hmm. of death. He would talk about these types of things all the time. He kind of had an interesting style in a sense where he was like, Thinking about rock, like kind of goth aesthetics yeah. within rap, which is it's interesting, but he's not the only person that's doing that, like yeah. is doing that. Um, and so people were calling him a genius. So like I was like, you gotta call him a genius. I can call myself a genius and not feel bad. That's that. So I am a genius. Mental anxiety is my concept. Y'all can find me um, <laughs> if you want. So I'm working on getting that published because I just need to edit the paper because it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, I can say it really well. But my writing is like, and this movie did this, and then this yeah. movie, you know. So I'm working on tightening that up so I can get it published, so I can actually say that I conceptualize yeah. mental anxiety as a grad student, you know, yeah. going for it. So it is, uh, yeah. School was my first uh, uh, experience with that. Is you know, you're kind of when you're t- when you're talking about something that nobody else is talking about, uh, then you're going to be a little bit like, you're not necessarily predicting the future, yeah. but you are saying, I I've noticed this. Yeah. And then when it does ha- when it happens again, you feel like, yeah, you're fucking a right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I yeah. said, it. I said that. Yeah. You know, my same thing for my bachelor's thesis. Like I anticipated that the show insecure is directed by Melina Matsukis, um, who directed Solange's, um, music video for losing you. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, black female representation and music videos has had this space for positivity yeah. that will bleed over <laughs> into other media. And I was like, when the, she started directing the TV show, I was like, I was right. 2014 Ariel had the concept. <laughs> it's here. It's happening. Um, no. So, I mean, that is, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like you say things and you're like, wow, am I right? And then it happens and you're like, I was right. Yeah. I was so right. So again, I'm a genius. Okay. You're a genius. We're all geniuses. Yeah. Just let's do that. I kind of have a theory that everybody's a genius about something, but that might be me being overly generous. No, I think there's some, some, not everyone, not everyone. Majority (laughs) of people have something with some viewpoint onto the world. Gently. I do believe that no one else is ever going to have. Yeah. Um, And it's just a matter of like being able to conceptualize, vote, articulate it. Yeah. And putting it out there, you know, whatever. Um, and I did actually have a question in regards to, um, you know, horror movies and, you know, you're talking about women and then your advisor said, well, what about, you know, what about black women? And I found myself, as you mentioned that I was like, aside from the occasional supporting Mm -hmm. character, are there a lot of like black female leads in horror? I think 28 days later has, um, sure. Sure. Harris? Name it Harris, yeah. Um, but no. I mean, there are, like, you have, like, Ganjin Hess, which is a um, black vampire film from the 70s. You have Blackula. Mm-hmm. You have, like, you know, those right. back then. But, uh, or you have, actually, I took, I was going to take the class at UCLA this year with uh, Tanana Reeve Du. She taught the Get Out class. And, like, oh, okay. um, he actually came. Um, he, Jordan, Jordan Hill, yeah. actually came. And I saw him. I didn't take the class, but um, Ellen, my advisor, brought us some other people there to hear him speak. Um, but she has a really interesting viewpoint of like where do, you know, she has all these films that don't necessarily from the fifties and stuff. They don't ever get really get talked about that she would show. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, Tales from the Hood, like, which, oh, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, you know, kooky, but like really, really interesting in terms yeah. of like, what is it representing? Um, she showed a lot of short films by people who made horror films, but, like didn't ever kept that going. Yeah. Uh, but there isn't, it isn't a lot. It's a very white genre. Yeah. And I think uh, Richard Dyer said that the idea of body horror is that of white body horror. Yeah. That the concept that your body's out of control is terrifying for like in the concept of white supremacy because you're supposed to be in control of everything. Mm. So the concept that black people's bodies be out of control or perceived as out of control is reality. Like from mm. slavery, civil rights, contemporary moments like those the perception of your body being out of control is a fact of life so like to represent that how could you do it you know and i do wonder if you know from a visual standpoint because like okay <laughs> i have an image in my mind like white women mm-hmm. aren't not aren't necessarily pale but mm-hmm. they're usually paler than mm-hmm. white men mm-hmm. and the idea of like red blood right. on like pale white right. skin like right. is so it's such a jarring thing right. that I feel like uh, I, I imagine a lot of filmmakers like, well, I'm not passing that up. Yeah, you I, know? I mean, yeah, but I mean, also like, what could we do to concert, like to switch that around? Like exactly. why, you know, that for in the interest of visuality, if we're going to talk about going, we're going to talk about lighting practices. Yeah. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to talk about <laughs> camera film stock that is not meant to be calibrated to darker skin tones. Like, I mean, there are just a lot of aspects from the history of it, things yeah. that really fueled that, that starkness, right? That yeah. necessarily could be different now. The last yeah. class that I TA'd for, mm-hmm. um, we talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it happened like we were, it timed out perfectly that Black Panther was coming out at the same time that we were discussing Mm -hmm. that. So I was like really excited to talk about that Mm -hmm. because it's something that, you know, you just take things, certainly from a technology standpoint, you're like, well, this is just how technology is. Like, well, yes, but it's, there is such a thing as calibration. Yeah. And like, it's calibrated to a very specific thing. to calibrate properly to, if you don't have anyone in film school who knows, works with black or brown yeah. people how can they teach you yeah how to calibrate to that kind of stuff that's another thing that i investigated in one of my papers mm-hmm. um like the not necessarily inherent like the inherent racism not necessarily like actively being racist right <laughs> although that, that does happen but yeah. like people like i don't know i've never had to i've never wanted to tell a story about you know or yeah. these type of things so people will get it in they want to learn how to calibrate or they want to learn how to light people who look like them, they have no one to teach them right. how to do that properly. So you kind of like do it yourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot. Um, okay. So yes. now you, you, you teased something yes. before we started recording yes. about your, fi- your final paper, the one you just finished a couple days ago at this no. point. Yeah. At this point, when uh, the, yeah. this shows, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this <hit> um, premieres. <laughs> so, uh, Ooh. okay. So what is it? Okay. So you said you would not tell me until we were on mic. Jim Carrey. Okay. Oof. Just the name. <laughs> I don't know what's it's coming nice. next. No, okay, so I wrote about the mask. Okay. Okay. I know. I'm sitting in this room. There's, I don't know if you, a lot of Riddler yes. uh, paraphernalia around here, including one, several of Jim Carrey's yes. Riddler, who is your favorite. We talked about this before. Um, but I wanted to talk about the mask for, we have a class for historiography. It's like the history of history, mm-hmm. but it's like um, mandatory for the PhD students. And so I didn't know we have to go to an archive and do stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't do, 
I do archives, but I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I came from archives, so quite literally, I do do archives, but I don't yeah. at all. So I was like, I don't know. I'm going to talk about black uh, pageants in Los Angeles. That's really hmm. fascinating. And like Inglewood and Compton and stuff in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, I was like, I don't have time to try and hunt those down. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying. It's 10 weeks. I got three <laughs> other things to do. Yeah. Let's be honest. And I was like, I have been talking to someone about the mask. And I have, if you can't tell, I have had a lifelong at this it's it's the majority of my life crush on Jim Carrey. Okay, I wasn't exa- when you said Jim Carrey and then you had a response to what you were saying. Uh, I wasn't sure exactly what, what that meant. Yeah. Uh, if no, it was positive or negative. It's, it's positive. positive. Okay. Um I had like a like I don't even in part I think because I saw the mask when I was like 3 or 4. Sure. And I always I watched it over and over again when I was younger. And then for a long time I didn't watch it or even think about it. Um but I was thinking about it. I watched it somewhat recently, I think in winter. And I was like, there's so much going on here. Mm -hmm. And then I also remember that the 75th anniversary for the Zoo Suit Rise was coming up. Mm. And it was actually like two weeks ago. I think the first instance, the first night was June 3rd. Uh, It ran from June 3rd to June 13th in Los Angeles. And it was the first, at the top of the summer, it was the first of a series of Zoo Suit Rise across America. So in 1943... You know, civil war, civil war. <laughs> World War Two is going crazy, um, and so there's a lot of people um, who are stationed on the Pacific Coast, and there are people of minority of uh, racial and ethnic groups who did not want to go into the draft because they saw this war as being like, you know, a valoration of whiteness. Sure, and so a lot of black and brown people decided to stay at home. Mm-hmm. Um, black brown men decided to stay at home, and not only that. But this, after 1939, Gone with the Wind happened. And there were these replications of Civil War uniforms in the movie, where including for the Confederate um, officers who wear long jackets. Mm -hmm. And so someone in Gainesville, Georgia, Clyde Davis, was like, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, how can I take this and like, you know, how can I take this and freak it? Um, And so he was like, okay, so he made us what become known as the zoot suit. So like a long jacket, broad shoulders, billowing pants, a hat with a feather of yeah. some type. Um, with, and a, it, with a brim that's... With a brim that's, that's pretty exaggerated. Yeah. Um, everything is, everything about it is exaggerated. Right. Um, and that goes into the idea of exaggerating the ma- the viral the virile masculinity of yeah. these men who chose to not go fight. Right. So what happened when the zoot suit riots was like, servicemen would see these men who were not in the not enlisted, were able-bodied, and not only that, were flaunting that they were able-bodied through the through their outfits. Hmm. So all these fights were happening where people were like, strip these men of their outfits in the street and burn hmm. them. And the police were just kind of like, yep. Yeah. Awesome. So I was like, well, let's think about Jim Carrey's zoo suit and yeah. the mask. And I was like, what's going on there? I mean, because, and then not only that, but whenever he becomes the mask, he does a performance of a number of other ethnic masculinities, mm-hmm. like the Russian like dancer or yeah. whatever, and like the Frenchman, um, the stereotypical Latin male dancer. <laughs> yeah. um, we can probably put stereotype on everything think, that he right, does. Right. So yeah. let's say yeah, stereotype on all <laughs> yeah. these things, cowboy. Yeah. Uh, Accountant, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was everything like, that this milk toast white guy, yeah, yeah, and I was is like, not. love that. I love yeah. that. I was like, 
let's let's do that. So I wrote my paper about how Jim Carrey specifically, because of who he is, because of the elasticity of his com- comedy, his yeah. comedic, his corporeal comedic presence, Ooh. is able to. I know I took you. Yeah, there. look Ooh, at you. Woo, look at you. Is able to um, manipulate all these ethnicities because of his whiteness. Like it mm-hmm. is in its own sense the ultimate conduit. Um, and with which to understand, quote, air quote, all these other masculinities. <gasps> sorry, our oh, cat. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, cat. our cat is, is meowing. Cats do not like me, so I was like, <gasps> And, okay, so, let, all right, hang on, this is exciting. Yes. Because, what's his name, Peter Green, the villain, Dorian. Yes. Ooh, you see, this is, I don't even know that man's name. <laughs> you got it, you got it, you got it. <laughs> so he was also in Usual Suspects and other things, but that's okay, what I remember. Yeah. Oh, and he was in Pulp Fiction, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, okay, so Dorian. Mm-hmm. All right, okay, hang on now. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm working this out on my Let's brain. Let's hear it. So Stanley Ibkiss yes. is not happy with what he is. He doesn't really have that much power. Right. Um, and so when he puts on the mask, he, he embraces everything else, everything yeah. that isn't him. Yeah. He's it. Like yeah. Dorian has a fair amount of power within right. the city, but not so when, as much power, as n- not as much power. Yeah. But what's interesting is that when he puts on the mask, he just becomes more himself. Exactly. Like he becomes just a bigger version of right. him. He's not interested in being anything other than him. Right. You know, which speaks to, I think a certain, certainly a certain self-centeredness, mm-hmm. a certain hubris, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is interesting. And so I, I wonder if it speaks to like a certain, like a, a certain power dynamic that like he is a powerful to, to bring in like racial stuff. He's a powerful white guy. Yeah. And why would I ever want to be anything, anything else? else? If anything, I just want to be more powerful. Right. So I think that's in really, it's really interesting that is a great analysis of the movie. But what I found out going to the archive, I went to the Academy mm. Museum because they had a lot of stuff about the mask because it was nominated for Best Special Effects, Visual Effects. Yeah. Um, it lost to Forrest Gump, which is funny because it was like nominated from Jurassic Park, The Mask, Forrest Gump. And they were, that was all ILM. Like yeah. They were all just competing with themselves. So oh, yeah. it's like, it was a win regardless. Yeah. Um, but it had a lot of stuff about The Mask is a comic book yeah so it came from dark horse entertainment which also had what the uh, ghost rider um had dark horse was marvel Uh, sorry sorry ghost rider was marvel dark horse had the mask some other iteration i know i used to read a lot of dark horse comics when i was younger and for the life of me i can't remember what they were now but the mask comic was way darker yes way darker (laughs) and so charles russell who directed Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream, Dream Warriors, they wanted him to kind of create that same kind of dark franchise. Hmm. And he was like, no, I want to use ILM because at that point, ILM had never used been used for a comedic purpose. Mm-hmm. It's always been like, you know, fantasy or whatever. And he was like, Jim Carrey was like, yeah, I don't want to be evil, you know? And that's what the mask was supposed to. It makes anyone, yeah. everyone their darkest innermost thoughts. It's yeah. supposed to be their id. So like in the comic, it ended up in the movie, Dorian was like just more invincible. Like he wanted, he was a subservient to a bigger gangster and he wanted to overthrow right. him. And he did, he killed him. Um, but Jim Carrey's character is supposed to be like, you know, as this one reporter, she was really, oof, just uh, when I read it in the archive, she was like in the span of that year, it was Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. Um, 
The Mask, Truth, True Lies, yeah. I think. And then one other film where all these men were supposed to be like, oh, well, it's me. I'm a nice guy and I can't get anything done. Right. And so she was like, well, this is kind of just another trick where it's like now he becomes this type of manic, masculine excess that yeah. is supposed to end up getting him the grill. Because it does. I mean, when he becomes yeah. Stanley Ipkiss, like at the end, he throws away the mask and he's like supposed to that's supposed to have had some bleed over into his actual life right and so now he's more outgoing he stands up for himself like he believes in himself but like he could have done that anyways without the mask and it's interesting the idea that um is something that struck me ever since i saw the film uh that uh it's not necessarily a love triangle, but there are two women in the film. There's Cameron Diaz and Amy Yazbek yeah. um, as Peggy, the reporter. Right. She's nice. She's attractive. Yeah. Um, and she but seems she's, interested in right. him. And you kind of feel like, oh, there's going to be a situation where he's infatuated, infatuated with Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. Um, Tina. Mm-hmm. With Tina. But he's going to eventually wind up with Peggy because she's the one that's there the whole time. Yeah. Uh, but that would be settling, right? You know, and it's and by the end, like, no, he actually is able to get like this attra- this super attractive woman. And right. while I actually do think that the performances are all good, and I think the the characters are written fairly well, when it comes right down to it, like both of the women are just they're both they, they're, they're purely yeah. just like symbols, right? Exactly. You know? They're both symbols, like because also Peggy end up ends up betraying, him. Crossing, betraying yeah. him right so like in the comic that doesn't happen like there's no tina there's no peggy peggy's kathy um kathy is his girlfriend he has yeah. a girlfriend in the original mask and it was like you know she puts she puts on the mask when he dies and becomes the mask hmm. in the comic right so it's like it's really interesting that point but yeah i hear you like because even in the movie his friend um charlie is like oh yeah like Oh, stunning redhead coming up, yeah. right? And it would end up being Peggy. And he was like, she was like, oh yeah, you submitted that article, Nice Guy Finished Last. Like, yeah. it was so good. Like, she was so interested in it. And, and granted, she ended up betraying him for money so she could support herself. And that yeah. makes her seem evil in the movie. Oh, and you know, there's a deleted scene where she is killed by Dory. Exactly. Like, rather horribly. Yeah. Because I think it's, I think she's like thrown into a printing press or yeah. something like that. Yeah, he's originally, they had a, they had Jim Carrey dangling over the printing press and then they did right. and they was like she's like, oh here goes my money and then they take the money from her and put her in the printing press right um, but yeah no it's you know it's whatever yeah it's, we, we hate women it's fine <laughs> I mean they are all, they are all very <laughs> off putting I just I there's something weird about myself yeah. I'm looking at my own hands right now I don't know <laughs> exactly. what's going on have here. you ever talked to women oh, oh man, man. It's a minefield. Um, so I'm joking, everybody. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I'm married to a woman. They're they're great. Yes. Uh, thumbs up. She has great hair. Uh, yes, she hair. does. Yes. Uh, thank you. So <laughs> thank uh, you. I did. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I told her years ago in pure uh, vertigo fashion. I want you to look like this. This ex girlfriend of mine. Um, so uh, so that's so your your final paper was just all about the mask, the mask specifically because that's I was like I want to be associate i want i want if jim carrey and he's a smart man he reads a lot i was like if jim carrey comes across his own name which i feel he probably never would but if someone is like oh i read this really interesting article about the mask i want him to know ariel stevenson that's me reach out to me on twitter hello jim Mm -hmm. carrey it's me 
Yes. Um, <laughs> but I really thought it was, a, I think the movie is hilarious. The part where he, oh my God, like the part where he fights the night, he first comes the mask and he goes back to the people at the, at the mechanic who over yeah. it and goes, hold on to your carburetors, boys. I'm like, what was yeah. going through that man's mind? How many times did he yeah. have to repeat that line? Yeah. Like, I just, <sighs> I was like, and, it's so And funny. then we cut to the mechanics <laughs> having impaled. something. By the carburetor. Yeah, it's clearly been shoved up their asses. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. And yeah. I, I never realized that until I watched it like three nights ago. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's messed up. Yeah. It's, yeah. There are moments of darkness in True. the film. Certainly True. not the comic book. Right. But, no. uh, but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, and and if you look at uh, Jim Carrey, his, like his choices directly after, because the film, he's clearly the good guy Whereas the mask in the comic is really, really a force for, a, for yeah. evil. Yeah. Um, so he's the good guy here. And then he follows it up with the being the Riddler yeah. and then cable guy. Right. Like he, he clearly wanted to get something out yeah. of his system yeah. and this film did not allow him to do it. Yeah. Um, Even though he was a huge part in like why it ended up being exactly like there's a lot of interviews yeah. where he talks about, yeah, I knew I wanted to do this. Like I came on set. I know when to do this with this and like yeah. ILM. I was like, I want my eyes to look like this. I want my jaw to fall down like this. Like, yeah. you know, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. And just in general, it's interesting how much that film when he's the mask, how much he looks to like the forties, right. like the, even whether it be the Tex Zoot Suit Avery. or the Tex Avery cartoons yeah. or whatever it yeah. is. That's very interesting. Um, so we should probably start wrapping up, oh. but, uh, I know it flies by, I know. um, but, uh, we can always have you back, but first off, mm -hmm. uh, but not first off last off, it's literally the opposite of first. <laughs> um, what would you say some of your favorite films are? Whew. Wow. Okay. So first of all, it follows. Okay. For sure. Um, just because I just think it was visually that, I think that like, there's like a the 720 degree turn in that movie. The, when does the, that happen? The cinema. When does that happen? It happens when you have characters who need to keep their head on a swivel. Exactly. Like they gotta be, be consistently uh, yeah. looking around. I, just, that was, I saw that on a date. I thought it was a date. This guy didn't realize it was a date. Oh boy. Um, tragic. This, ha that happens. this happens like four times. This happened four times in my life where I asked a guy on a date and he didn't realize it was a date. Um, I saw it on a date with a guy that was like losing my mind. And he was like, yeah, it was good. I was like, see, no, that's not going to work. Um, it was fascinating. So it follows. Um, 27 Dresses does a lot. 27 Dresses. 27 Dresses. I actually wanted to I got to say, I haven't seen it. Oh! Give it a gander. It's okay. so good. No, it's like, it's, you know, Catherine Heigl got screwed over in the industry just because she was a woman who like didn't want to deal with Seth Rogen. But, um, you know, it's. In retrospect, I think she was shown to be right. He I seems mean, insufferable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, Stone Time Justice is a really fascinating um, romantic comedy. And I ended up for another paper this quarter writing about something new, which also I think is one of my favorite romantic comedies. Which stars a black woman. Okay. First black woman directed, written, produced, and star film came out in 2007. Oh, wow. 2006. And that's also one of my favorite movies. It takes place in LA. And it's like, it's Sanai uh, Lathan and Simon Baker is oh. her love interest. And so it's supposed to be oh, okay. black women don't ever date outside of the rest. What happens when they do? Um, and it's a lot of good things there, a lot of bad things mm -hmm. there. Um, a series of my a series of my favorite romantic comedies. So we're gonna I'm just gonna take it there real fast. Something okay. borrowed. Okay. Fascinating. Twenty seven dresses, also fascinating. 
um, and something new. Also fascinating. <laughs> um, those are some of my favorites. Let's see what else. Kill Bill 1 and 2, but Kill Bill 1, it just does something to my heart in a great way. It's it's I'm favorite. the only person I know that prefers 2. And it's interesting that I'm from Texas and I don't support 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 the Western. Yeah. I mean, her boots, when she like leaves, the fact that she like crawls out of that grave and I get that she want to live, but she doesn't go back in and get those boots, still to this day haunts my life. Like, I know it's a movie. It's whatever. <laughs> but those boots were something else. Um, um, favorite movies. I really enjoy Raw. It was crazy. I still haven't seen it. I, you know, uh, it's it's so good. People were like, oh, men were vomiting in the theater. I was like, why? Why? Someone, in, I was out in theater at that the, the new art, and someone did Rich really loudly behind me. I was like, oh, okay, well. All right, well, so that's one of the rare instances. Like, I feel like lately, there. first off, we're in something of a horror renaissance. Like, yeah, there's, there's so it. many great things. Gotta see Hereditary. Haven't seen I know, it. me either. I'm so scared. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I've heard it's just... Nuts. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like I need to prepare ready myself yeah, no. for it. But, um, but yeah, but what, one thing that happens is like a movie will come out. Like I remember the Babadook and I think William Friedkin said, it's like, it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. So I was like, okay, all right, here we go. And it was, and I saw it, it's, it is very scary, yeah. but also so great on top of that, yeah. like great lead performance. Yeah. Uh, Cinematography. Yeah. Like the part where the Babadook is on the roof of the car in the daylight, but you never see Yeah. You just hear it. Oh. Yeah, it's such a, it's a marvelous Terrifying. film. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but like the movies are played up as pure terror. Right. And people are like, oh, they're throwing up or, oh, it's so scary. And then certain types of horror fans that I will go ahead and say I tend to look down on, uh, they see it. Like if, if you look at like reviews of The Babadook on like Amazon or, or um, Netflix or something mm. like that, when it was on Netflix, I don't know if it is anymore, but you know, the reviews by certain types of horror fans mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, that was just so annoying. It wasn't scary at all. Like clearly like, okay, you want horrible, like you wanted gore yeah. and you wanted jump no, scares. yeah, jump scares. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with jump scares, but if that's the only thing that you consider to be horror, yeah. then you're wrong. Yeah. But what's from more what it terrifying sounds, than you hating your own child? I know it's <laughs> what's more terrifying than your husband refusing to let you live because he's dead what is more terrifying <laughs> than that and the idea that like the babadook the form it takes yeah. it essentially just looks like an empty suit of clothes like, like that's you know which is ultimately what a what a a, a gone a dead loved one is reduced is, to yeah and it's tragic and it's so sad and so many people said like that kid's so annoying it's like yeah that's, that's the, the point, whole point. <laughs> that's the whole point the kid's annoying he's you hate your own child yeah. that's it like what is more terrifying than hating something that you created yeah and you can't get rid of it and i think it's a testament to the film that without even really noticing the kid becomes less annoying as she becomes crazier, crazier. and you're actually you find yourself on his side you're like son of a bitch jennifer yeah. kent is brilliant <laughs> um yeah but yeah, but it sounds like Raw has the gore that people want. Raw has want. the gore. It's, it's a real, it's like uh, the terrifying aspects of like having female sexuality. Mm -hmm. That's that. All right. What happens when you are really horny? <laughs> that's the terror. That's the terror. That's a teenager who doesn't know what to do hmm. with her own body. That's, that's the whole crux of the film. I think a lot of people miss that. I think actually it's not the whole crux of the film. 
one of the big parts of the film is actually sisterhood, which I think no one talks about. Yeah. But that's the biggest part, actually. Family, same idea of, I think Hereditary really saw Ron and was like, oh yeah, we finna do this. Like sure. family inheritance of yeah. sexual appetite. Hmm. That's very interesting. You'll see I mean, you know, Teen Wolf is like that a little bit, obviously, Shh. but... Uh, I'm talking about the, the Michael J. Fox Teen Wolf. Okay. Yeah, you know, of okay. course. Thank you. I was like, don't... No, I'm joking. Don't talk about that I've TV not show. seen the TV show. I've heard it's very good. Don't talk about it. Why? Do you like it or do you dislike it's it? too much. I love it. I can't <laughs> tell your reactions. I love it so much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like the biggest Teen Wolf fan. Dylan O'Brien, if you hear this, you won't. If you hear this, holla at your girl. Oh, no, he's a big fan of Battleship Pretension. You never know. He really actually could I be. do talk a lot about the the uh, Maze Runner series. I do like it a lot. I think Dylan O'Brien is a great actor. He's mm-hmm. the best, which is sad, because Tyler Posey was supposed to be like the breakout star. that, And it was like, Dylan O'Brien was like, oh, I'm just this kooky guy of YouTube. Best actor, best actor of that show. Totally. Including Duke, the father of Unteen Wolf, of Styles, who is Dylan O'Brien's character, is Johnny Cage. Really? Yes. Lyndon Ashby? Yes. Hey, That's his right. father. Okay. I was wondering what happened to that actor. He's, he's. I mean, he's a good actor, but it's like he's, Dylan O'Brien is the star of that movie. Yeah, that yeah. show. And like they had to, they realized that like three seasons in and it was like, okay, how can we spin this? Yeah. And so everything kind of yeah. pivoted around Dylan O'Brien's character. So in the show Teen Wolf, yes. let's make the guy that is not, not a teen the wolf. wolf, let's make star. him the lead. Yeah. 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 Suddenly the like the werewolf aspect becomes an interesting subplot. Like exactly. in like in Bosom Buddies where they didn't dress up like women anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh it's I love Teen Wolf. I can't we can't we can't do this. Um my favorite movies. That's that's fine. It's I think have you seen anything lately that you really liked? Whether um, it be old or new. Okay, one of the great movies that is not really talked about is Losing Ground by Kathleen Collins. Okay. It's the first full-length film directed by a black woman. It came out in 1980. Okay. But it got a re-release in 2016 because it got lost. And Kathleen, Kathleen Collins died pretty mm. free, pretty soon after that. She was prolific. Like, she, like, was trained and she was studied abroad. She studied in France. Like, she was fluent in French, philosophy, all these types of things. She wrote poetry. Mm-hmm. She wrote multiple screenplays she had multiple films um she had a short book of short stories that was also released in 2016 called whatever happened to interracial love and she was a prolific woman but she died like two or three years after that movie and Mm -hmm. so it kind of just her daughter just happened upon all of her effects and was like oh my mother did this really amazing thing losing ground follows like a black female philosophy teacher in the 80s early 80s Talk about that. She's beautiful. That's very specific. She's beautiful. Yeah. She's genius. Her husband's an artist. Her, mm-hmm. his, a, I think he's Afro-Puerto Rican. And he is an artist who, you know, Lothario, he sleeps around. Okay. It kind of just deals about, like, what happens when, how do you deal with, like, that kind of marital stress? Sure. But also, it's just, it's a really beautiful film. Um, you can buy it. Okay. Um, it's a beautiful, I think, if I'm going to leave people with a movie that should be watched okay. and understood, because people talk about, well, more recently are talking about Daughters of the Dust. Yeah. 
Daughters of Dust is owed to losing ground, and 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 Julie Dash will talk about mm-hmm. Kathleen Collins, um, and it's really really a fascinating film, I think, and okay. just beautiful, well shot, interesting concepts, okay. well, great performances, like <laughs> just Do you know all around. Who put it out on? Uh, video it's on dvd you can just if you just google losing ground you'll buy you can you can buy losing ground but you also get her other film oh great the cruise brothers so okay. it's like something 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 the cruise brothers as part of it okay and it's like ten dollars all right yeah you gotta love a deal take. um all right that's uh it's it's always fun to get a recommendation of like a movie that is hard to fit not even necessarily hard to find but just right. people don't, don't know, know about much it. about it yeah. yeah okay so losing ground by Kathleen Collins. Kathleen Collins. Yeah. All right. That's great. Um, well, we're going to go ahead and end because I just remember that I'm recording with someone right after this. Um, <laughs> but for my other show. Okay. Uh, but yeah. So, Ariel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for asking me to be here. This was a tremendous fun. You're always welcome to come back. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, in several months, be on the lookout for Ariel and our yes. uh, Harry Potter commentaries. I'm ready. <laughs> Be prepared for me. <laughs> like, I'm ready. Yeah. But of course, you can't be ready for that if you don't buy the 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 first four commentaries, which are available at battleshippretension.com. I don't mean you. I'll just send them to Everyone. you. Everyone. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, it's $10 for all four. That's a lot of hours of recording. And you can hear David and I just get crazier and crazier <laughs> as the day goes on. Uh, and we eat, we just keep eating those uh, those jelly beans that are disgusting. When you get the earwax one, uh, yeah, thumb, uh, thumbs down. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, check that out. And uh, on a on a personal level, do check out my uh, my Jurassic World video essay. I put a lot of work into it. And you know what? I'll admit it's not perfect. In watching it, it's like, oh yeah, that was a mistake. Oh well, I'm watch it. Please I'm do. Uh, but yeah, you can find that at battleshippretension.com as well. So uh, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Ariel, thank you once again for being here. Uh, thank you. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.